They were the team of the WNBA draft this season. We've got Tony East here to talk about the Indiana fever as we look ahead to the 2022 WNBA season. This is Locked On Women's Basketball. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast. Here is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Alex Simon. Step it in to give Howard Megdal a little bit of a breather. You know, he can only play about 35 to 36 of the 40 minutes. We can't have him going all 40 here of these WNBA games. So I'm trying to make sure that, you know, somebody gives him a chance to get some rest here. I also have Tony East joining me. Tony is the Indiana Fever beat reporter for the next hoops. Tony, welcome and thanks for joining us from Indianapolis today. Happy to be here. It was media day for the Fever today, so I'm feeling very locked into the team and where they're headed right now. Well, starting with media day is a heck of a place to start because this Fever team has added so many pieces to this roster. This roster still is, I think, got maybe the second most or the most players on it in the entire WNBA this season. Uh, Has it been a little disorienting trying to keep up with who is even on the roster and who's playing today? Yeah, I have 10 moves they've made already, like just cutting people since free agency opened. And that doesn't even count players they've signed. And they still have 17 under contract. So keeping up with who those people are, where they come from, what the roster battles are, has been very, very concerning and confusing for me, especially because so many are overseas and not back yet. And one got hurt overseas. So now everybody I thought would make the team might not make the team. It's very, very confusing. But Lynn Dunn's got her ducks in a row. She very much lauds herself as a talent evaluator. So that she wanted to get her, her gals in and get her rookies in. That's what they've done so far. And especially to get your rookies, they I think the move of the offseason for the, for the Fever, there's really two of them. And for people who maybe haven't been keeping up with what they've been doing this offseason or kind of starting to get back into WNBA fandom, I want to spend a little bit of time going over the two, I would say the two biggest moves that they made this offseason. The first being the trade where they were able to acquire a bunch of picks in a three-team trade with the Chicago Sky and the Phoenix Mercury, kind of for the cost of bringing Bria Hartley and her maximum contract in. Can you kind of talk about what you think the Fever evaluated in deciding to bring Hartley in, get Phoenix's first and second round picks next year, get a Chicago pick for this upcoming, for the 2023, a first round pick from them? Just what is it that you think, went into that trade either at the time or kind of still in their evaluation. When you talk about a lot of the fever moves, I have to say, okay, Tamika did this or Lynn Dunn did this because they had the the managerial change two weeks into free agency. This move was done during the Tamika front office and she was all about, she's done this two summers in a row now, taking on these short but protected big deals to get other assets. She did with Odyssey Sims with the Lynx two years ago and that was the 10th pick in this draft and then now, Bria Hartley this year to get another first round pick and maybe even two, depending on how stuff goes. And so look, it's not that Hartley isn't good and might, you know, she might play and help them and be their backup point guard. Although with destiny Henderson and Lindsay Allen in the fold, I don't, I don't know exactly what they're thinking at that position, especially because Hartley is still overseas, but this move was all about the picks for a rebuilding team that just won six games. 
to add a second rounder that ended up being Destiny Henderson, uh, a, a swap, and then that it ended up getting moved to Dallas. So it's hard to put it all the pieces together. We'll, but, we'll get we'll get to that in a second. Don't worry. <laughs> and then also getting the pick from Chicago, where Chicago just won the championship. Obviously, they look like a good team, but you know, as you know. Very older team, kind of banged up. You know, you never really know how their season could go. That could end up being a good pick. Maybe not. Um, but, you know, the value for them was less about getting Hartley in, although maybe she does end up making the final 12 for the Fever, but more about getting more draft capital for a team that just won six games. Well, look, you have the cap space to utilize. And if right. you aren't necessarily able to convince free agents to come to Indiana just by saying, hey, come play for us. We have a lot of money we'll offer you if players say I'd rather go play with somebody who maybe has a better shot at winning a title or making a playoff run, the way to do it is to use the cap space you have as a trade asset and offer it to other teams saying, we'll take on the players you're trying to get rid of, which clearly is what Tamika Catchings thought at the time was a smart use of their cap space. Well, and you know, from the Phoenix side, they had big plans, right? Tina Charles getting in there is huge for them, obviously. So uh, clearing that space was very important. And Hartley, Look, she she is a good WNBA player, but she's not worth the, the salary that she's going to make this year. You know, I think you and I would both agree there. So for the Phoenix to be able to get off of that, I mean, I think the motivation was there for every team. Uh, we're not even including the Shields factor in this. And so th there was a lot that went into it, but it made sense for everybody. So the, the Chicago first round pick for 2023, they did acquire in that three-team trade. They also sent the rights to Julie Alamon to Chicago, which – the two Belgians now can play in Chicago together. That was kind of both a favor to her, but also you got a first round pick out of it. So that was part of that. There is the, the change in the general manager role and Lynn Dunzen as an interim general manager, but is clearly running the ship for this season. And with that Chicago first round pick, Dunn took that and a player that they really like in Tierra McCowan, as well as what they had at the time was the seventh overall pick and made a trade with the Dallas Wings. They picked up Dallas's first round pick next season which I want to focus on that part in particular before we come back to this year. But they also got the fourth and the sixth. So effectively, they swapped McCowan, the seventh overall pick in 2022, and Chicago's first round pick in 23 for the number four, the number six, and the first round pick of Dallas's in 2023. To me, the key to this trade, even with the pieces for the immediate future, the key to this trade is looking at it and saying, we think Dallas is a worse, has worse chances to make the playoffs than Chicago and we'd rather bet against Dallas than Chicago and maybe get a second chance at a lottery spot next year's draft right I agree with that and I think uh, you know I did just say the this guy have some injury concerns or an older team but I think I would be willing to make the same bet if I were in charge of a WNBA team uh Dallas is kind of weird you know <laughs> you know they have some talented players who look like they could be good in the right situation but they're all kind of have overlapping skill sets in a way that no one is really confident in the wings this coming season and McCowan for all the good stuff she did for the fever clearly a flawed player and some of those flaws will get in the way of Arike and and Sabli's skills so maybe they will be good you know they did get McCowan they they're still they may were a playoff team last year but I think that's a safe bet to make considering the sky were just better and didn't necessarily get any worse this offseason. And when the sky had Candace Parker healthy, they were playing like one of the best teams in the WNBA, which is how they made the run to the championship that they made. So look, as always, it's worth pointing out 10 teams seem to be going for the playoffs this season and only eight of them can make it. And so if you look at some teams as maybe more of a lock than others, Dallas is a team that has a bunch of question marks. So if you are a fever fan, and you know that you maybe are one of the two teams in the WNBA who's not necessarily in contention mode, 
and you're going for playoff spots, you're going for titles this season, having a second team to kind of root against and know that, hey, if they're not making the playoffs, it helps us, has to be something that you feel a little more confident in than maybe rooting against the defending champions like they would have had they not made that trade and kept Chicago's pick. Exactly. And then if you if you count in the other factors of, you know, they didn't know this at the time, obviously, but they did have two. Like they knew they had a pretty good shot at Nalissa, right? And there's another player you want to stick on the interior. They had they signed Betty Hatar like three days later, and she ends up tearing her ACL and MCL again. They didn't know all this at the time, but you know, they, they like had a front court rotation filled out, even without T in the fold. So it became like improving their draft capital this year, even on top of that challenge idea of we think Dallas will not necessarily be awesome next year. So even even if T pops in Dallas, I think it was ultimately, especially with Melissa now in the fold, a good choice by Dunn. And we will get to Melissa and the players they did take with all of the picks they did have. But first, before we get to that, I want to talk about Built Bar, because this is the time of year where even now, if you haven't done it already, I've like my New Year's resolution was gone in like mid-January. I thought about it twice and I'm like, oh, I should have done this. But, you know, we're at about a third of the way through 2022. If you haven't tried to maybe better yourself, the summer is a great time to look forward and try to figure out ways to do things. I know that I want to eat right. And this year I'm going to be able to start doing that better coming into the summer. Thanks to Built Bar. And honestly, like it, Built Bars are so enjoyable that I don't really feel like it. Not just that, though. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. If you compare that to the candy bars that usually have like 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, it's no comparison. So make sure you go over to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Once again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off of your order at Built.com. The number 15 is a pick, by the way, that uh, it felt like the Fever had. They had all 15. They had 15 picks, it felt like, during the They really only had seven. But, you know, they made so many interesting and fascinating decisions up and down the board after making the trade. I'm going to do a quick run-through of the top five picks that they did have. At number two, they had Nelissa Smith out of Baylor. At number four, Emily Angster out of Louisville. At number six, maybe the shock of the draft relative to what people expected. Lexi Hull out of Stanford. At number 10, an otherwise still surprising pick, it was Queen Egbo also out of Baylor. So a teammate of Melissa Smith's coming to join her. You also, with the pick number 20, added Destiny Henderson, who it does seem like, as we can kind of go through all of the rookies that they've added, seems like she might earn her way onto the roster, at least initially. So out of those five players, obviously Smith is the highlight. But which is the one that maybe has kind of stood out to you as the pick that your opinion even has changed in the time from when they picked them a couple of weeks ago to now as we get close to the start of the season? Yeah, Smith, though, watching her in scrimmages at camp, she doesn't run. She kind of glides like it, it's hard to explain, but she just she's got something that I'm really excited to watch in, in real meaningful basketball games instead of just training camp practices against other rookies in a six win team. Uh, compared to my what I thought of them as the pick, I think the one that stood out to me the most so far, my opinion changed the most about, is Queen Egbo. She is very, you know, when when they picked her and they did their presser after the first round, Lynn Dunn and Marianne Stanley came in the room and talked a lot about her mobility on defense. And that is something they, especially as we talk about Tira McCowan, who is not at all mobile on defense, you know, something they really needed 
on the interior last season, someone who could not necessarily switch out, but be more of a deterrent on the perimeter and pick and roll situations and just keep the defense moving instead of, you know, causing others to collapse or making help rotate earlier, things like that. She's really stood out to me with that mobility on both ends. Her offense has looked really sharp when I watched her as well. I think she could be a pretty natural fit for this team. And, and with Betty now injured, the front court's less crowded. There might be minutes for her this season. So she's one that I think my perception of her has changed the most since the pick. And Lexi Hall, obviously, I think I agree with you, the surprise of the draft where she went. But a lot of teams were really valuing shooting this draft. And I think she would have been picked probably top 16, 15 range uh, anyway. And so they picked her at six. And Lynn Dunn said, we didn't think she was going to be there at 10 with our next pick because they thought someone seven, eight or nine would pick her. So... I think her shooting will be really valuable, especially around Kelsey Mitchell, because they were the only team to shoot under 30% from three last year. So, yes, surprising at that spot, certainly, but other teams wanted her and they really needed her skill. So, you got to do it when you got to do it if you want the player. So, yes, both of those picks were surprising, but I actually think Egbo could be their backup center this year and, and Hull shooting could really help them. But, you know, they're rookies. We'll see what their impact really is this year. There is certainly some teams in that seven, eight, nine range. And there's one in particular that drafted a player who is a pretty good outside shooter that. Maybe you could wonder if that team had a chance to take Lexi Hole, would they have done it? You know, you never know. I think it's maybe not the it, for as much as it was the shock of draft day, and certainly not where it was. If you have the pick at six and you decide this is the player we want, and we don't want to risk maybe not being able to get her, I completely understand how you make that decision. And especially given that you know Lexi's played on a team at Stanford that was maybe the most talentful full of talent team in the NCAA in terms of the way that talent was spread out. She's already dealt with a team that maybe is a little more pro esque in that, Hey, you're op- You only get so many opportunities. You got to take advantage of those when the ball comes your way. Yeah, I think that is true for sure. And like, not again, I don't want to discredit their shooters last year, but they had, they had no threats from the perimeter, you know, like none at all. Like Jantel Lavender was probably their best, spacer last year and all her threes were actually twos because her feet are on the line for all three she's notorious for that even making a joke about it at storm media day this year so they need i mean they need shooters badly <laughs> so that's where i think lexi hall can really help them and even emily angsler could end up i mean i don't know how her shot will translate but she could be helpful in that way just a little bit more so than anyone they had last year so i think shooting was a priority and lindon has stated as such in that draft and obviously, when you bring in a player like Destiny Henderson coming off of a pretty dang, pretty darn good national title <laughs> run for South Carolina, you know, it sounds like based off of what people have been saying and some of the other moves they've made around the roster, has she kind of maybe already, you know, it's I guess it's not, you know, day one of the season, but it sounds like she's trending toward being on the roster, isn't she? When I did my 12 projection for the team, she was the 12th. She was the last one that I got on there. And so now that, you know, we've had a lot of talks about this and in some of the next group chats, like the Turkish league going so long, there might be extra roster spots at the beginning of the season for even more improve herself. So I think she's got a really good shot to make it by opening night for sure. And what it will come down to for me is, you know, Lindsay Allen is, is a big, Marion Stanley really likes Lindsay Allen. She did last year, talked about her a lot as a very reliable, like runner of the offense for the second unit. And Lindsay Allen had some nice moments. For the Fever last year, she's one of only three returning vets in camp for them so far. You know, that might be the battle for the last spot is do they want kind of Allen's veteran steady hand as their backup point guard? Or do they want to keep Destiny Henderson on the team this season in that backup fold? And maybe they decide to, you know, get rid of a wing like Jasmine Jones or Victoria Vivians and keep extra guards to keep both of them. But uh, I think Henderson's in that like 
11 through 14 kind of group where she's got a chance to make it, but it's going to be tough. But given that there's some players overseas and Hatar got hurt, my projections have been hurt a tiny bit. So I think she definitely has better than a 50% chance, but I would not say it's a certainty at this stage. Now, this is a roster that will have to get down to 12 by opening night. <laughs> but yeah. that said, pointing out all the players who might still be overseas, and I do want to break them down in a little bit, that will at least open the immediate start of a career. And look, if you're a WNBA player, if you're on the roster for one day, that counts as a full year of a WNBA service time. So even for a player that I think got a lot of buzz both in the NCAA tournament and also just got buzz because the fever took her in a Misha Williams holiday, if you can even make the opening day roster and only last for a day or two because the Turkish league is lasting longer than the WNBA teams would like it to and the players on those teams keep playing, that's a life-changing type of moment that also then makes your overseas contracts better because you could say, I was a WNBA player for even a few days. That still counts. There's at least a few players who ostensibly are going to be able to make the opening night roster who will at least stick around for a couple of days, if not longer, right? Well, the, the the other factor in that, too, is Chelsea Perry last year for the Fever, right? She made the opening night roster, played two games, and then Betty came from Hungary. And so they had to cut Chelsea Perry. But she played good in those two games. So then in the middle of the season, after they cut Lauren Cox, they were like, hey, Chelsea Perry, you were awesome for us around the season. Welcome back to the team, right? So those two games matter in that way as well. Like, you leave an impression with one strong performance, and boom, you are the first call when those sort of injuries happen, you know, you, Emma Cannon sort of fit that bill for Phoenix, as you kind of remember, it was a little different because the bubble intersected her time there, but um, you know, those sort of things matter as well. So yeah, I think that the opening night roster will be dra- you know, very important for a lot of them, like destiny and like Amisha Williams holiday, like you said, who are right on the end. And Aaron Whalen's still around from the rookie from Dayton, the only undrafted rookie they brought into camp. You know, they've waived three guards already from camp. Uh, Michaela Kelly, Ali Papberg and Haley Gorecki and Aaron Whalen is still standing and around and, I, she moves pretty well without the ball, has made a lot of threes when I've been watching camp. I don't know if she'll end up on the 12 roster when the season starts, but she, she's she been in the mix too. So they have a lot to consider as, as the season approaches. Emma Cannon, by the way, who you mentioned, who has kind of floated in and out of a WNBA career, but has continued to kind of impress in the limited time she gets. She, after getting cut by the fever before training camp, landed in Phoenix, by the way, already. So she maybe has been able to do that again. And Emma landing in Phoenix with a maybe potential title winning team reminds me that if you think you know who you want to take for a WNBA title this season and decide you want to put a little bit of money behind it too, betonline.net is the number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. You can find out the latest developments going on in sports leagues. You can kind of see the news. You can even look up the NBA playoffs are going on right now. Major League Baseball just got underway. And what I love personally is that they have odds for the WNBA over at BetOnline. Now, if you're an Indiana Fever fan, and you, for whatever reason, decide, I think the Fever are going to win it all this season, you can currently right now place a $1 bet on the Indiana Fever that would return you $80 if they win the WNBA title. You can only do that at betonline.net. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now, Tony, as I mentioned that and what pants could do, is that what would you... As the beat writer, if I ask you to give an assessment of the Indiana Fever coming into this season, would you categorize even spending a dollar on the Fever as a wise investment for a fan (laughs) if they wanted to see the see if they really truly think like is there even an outside shot, a prayer that the Fever could put together a title run this season? Uh, No, 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 there's not. (laughs) And here's the thing. So 
this offseason pre-Tamika stepping down as GM, I talked to uh, Aaliyah Wilson, Danielle Robinson, Chelsea Perry. And all three of them were kind of talking about you know their offseason and how they wanted to grow into the season. And I said something like, yeah, w- our goal is to make the postseason. Like, we want to improve our games and fit together. We'll have to do that. And I said, okay, you know, that, that makes sense as a natural goal after five seasons not making it. And you haven't made it since Tamika was on the team as a player. And then Lynn Dunn takes over. And she said, forget that. <laughs> we want to get better. We want to improve. That is our goal for this season. Forget that playoffs thing. And so, you know, not to say that it sounds bad to say we don't want to make the playoffs, but like in the fever situation, improvement is a much better goal. Like they, won, they won six games last season. They won six games in the bubble season. Like they should be focused more on that than a postseason berth. And which, by the way, winning six games last season was also meaning you lost a lot more games last season than you lost in the bubble. Since last season, they played 32 games compared to 22 games in the bubble. So you won the same amount. You also lost 10 more games last season. So even if if they they win six again this year, the losses will be even higher. Correct, because we're up to 36 (laughs) games this season. So I guess if you keep the six wins, you can say, well, (laughs) but no, uh, your your point stands. And look, I think there is ways for... I think there are ways for the Fever to look like a better team, even if the win number is either still at six or potentially even lower. There's plenty of ways for this roster and for the players on this roster to show that the Fever have a strong and solid core going into 2023, 2024, even if it isn't translating to wins night in and night out on the basketball court. Yeah, that's what I've been asking. (laughs) So one of the troubles of covering the Fever right now is – I want to ask returning players about what improvement means to them. There's only three in town right now. It's all rookies and new people. Um, but I want to ask them, like, hey, what what does that look like to you? What does improvement look like? You know, and Lindsey Allen, Tiffany Mitchell, and Kelsey Mitchell are the three on top of the front office and coaching staff. But they've all kind of given the same answer in kind of a different form. You know, some of them think it's more wins. And, yeah, you know, there's more games this season, so who knows what if that's right. a win percentage thing. But, yeah, I think every team wants to win more games than the year before. But, you know, Lindsey Allen kind of painted out, like, we were the worst def- one of the worst defenses in the league. I think they were only better than Atlanta, right? We got to be better on defense. And they got some better defenders this offseason, but, again, there are a lot of them are rookies. Like, it takes a while. They were the worst team, the worst shooting team in the league, and I think the worst shooting team from three in the last three seasons or four seasons. Like, it's been a while since the team shot under 30% from deep. Deep. They want to be better there. Like they have tangible numbers that some of them look at as improvement. And Kelsey Mitchell talked about, you know, a process thing. Like it will look better. We'll be better spaced out. I'll be able to pass to people who can make quicker decisions and make shots and stuff like that. And that makes sense to me too. And for Marianne Stanley, it's a little bit of both, right? So there's a lot of ways to look at it. But I think that this season, will, that's, what, that's what it's about is improvement and not the postseason. So don't spend your dollar on the fever. To win the title? No, but I think what you're getting <laughs> at. Maybe to win a single, I mean. They'll win games this season, but I, it's hard to pick a game they'd be like a favorite in or anything, right? I will say, too, though, what you're getting at, though, you can play, even if you're not winning, you can play a better aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball. Yes. And kind of some of the things you're talking about, not playing defense at all, not shooting three-pointers well, even just making sure your spacing on the floor is better, can at least make it a more enjoyable product to watch, let alone a better product for the players to be playing and growth that way. So even if you're a fan – even if the wins maybe aren't happening, maybe the games are just better basketball games in that regard. 100%. They, and they had a lot of offensive stuff last year that was kind of predicated on, you know, timing and, and things like that. And a lot, I don't want to say that they were like heavier on that than other teams, but, you know, the timing for them was tough because 
of T's speed and because they had a lot of new look players all together that it only clicked for like two or three weeks of the season, like mid July and August, it was working and they went like three and three and four, four and four in those two months. They looked like a capable team for a they little came, bit. They, they did come back and play some pretty competitive basketball after the Olympic break right? and had some games. I know they gave Phoenix actually two pretty good games, relatively speaking in the post Olympic break. Even they they were Connecticut's last regular season loss of the season prior to the yeah. playoffs, right? Like they, they had a stretch where they were legitimately playing. Okay. So establishing that sort of timing stuff with, better foot speed players with the new group. It'll be hard to implement with a bunch of new players. Like they'll, they will look very clunky the first month or two of the season, but that kind of stuff will look way more aesthetically pleasing once it all kind of gels and makes sense. And I think if you can run down who are the players that are overseas, because that whenever for as much as this group that's in training camp, that might be the opening night roster. Once those players come back, you kind of have to restart that learning process. Relatively speaking all over again, who are those players who are not going to be back potentially not even for the opening night or beyond at this point. Victoria Vivians is not here yet, but her Israeli team just finished their season. Uh, so Israeli, I just said Israeli and didn't I? Israeli team just finished their season. Uh, so I think she will report later this week, early next week. Don't know the exact timing on that. So I think by regular season, she'll be here. Uh, but she's kind of in that like last tier fighting for a spot. I think she's good enough to make it for sure. But you never really know with the roster's dynamic and Lynn Dunn did not sign or draft her. You know, you have to consider that sort of stuff with the fever. And then the other three, uh, Atlanta Coates, uh, Bria Hartley, and Danielle Robinson all playing in the Turkish League. So they might be a little bit still in Coates, especially. Like, they have no bigs with experience. Like, they, they are feel like, hurry, please come back, because they could have, a, like, almost an all-rookie big rotation <laughs> at the season start. So, obviously, Danielle Robinson, solid veteran presence, guaranteed contract. You know, they'll be waiting for her. She was solid last year. And Bria Harley, they don't know yet because she's never played for them. But they are waiting on some potentially kind of key players still. So it'll be fascinating to see when they come. But it also means – so in those first couple of games, if you are somebody who's really interested in seeing Melissa Smith, if you're interested in seeing how Emily Angster does, Queen Egbo, any of the rookies that they've drafted and seem to be building around, right out of the gates, they might have a lot of chances to yeah. be on the court and kind of go through – Growing pains, undoubtedly there will be growing pains, but those things might actually be a good thing. And this Indiana Fever team seems like they're built to allow a lot of runway for those to happen. Yeah, I agreed. I think, uh, you know, a lot of Angstler plus Smith minutes in particular, since those are the two they picked in the lottery, you know, especially early in the season. Uh, but in general, this this campaign, I think Marion Stanley should make that a focus to get those two on the floor together as much as possible. I know it's going to look ugly at times, and I think everybody knows that, but the quicker they get up to speed together and, and – they have enough complementary skills to me that they can be a good fit, the better it is for the fever. So I, I would try to jam them on the floor together as often as possible. And if it helps you get Aaliyah Boston next season, then everything <laughs> works out really well, doesn't it? You know, uh, I think I think having the Dallas pick and their own pick next year is a, is a nice combo for the fever heading into that next draft. Yes. It, it could be. So, Tony, thanks so much for joining us today. Where can the people find you and your work covering the fever? Yes, uh, I'm on Twitter at T East NBA, despite tweeting more about the W than the, the men's league these days. I got to get that fixed up. And then at the next, uh, you can find all my stuff there. Our season previews are coming out fairly soon. And mine on the fever and improvement will be up with everybody else's. Yeah, that's at the next hoops. If you follow it on Twitter, it's the next hoops.com. I'm Alex Simon from the Bay Area News Group. You can follow me at Alex Simon Sports. Always happy to come hang out and kind of leave my presence around the next and just kind of be that person that's hanging around that everybody's like, what's he still doing here? But, you know, I'm happy to keep doing that and helping whatever way I can, including making sure Howard isn't playing 
40 minutes a night for us and letting him get a breather here and there. Tony, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing what happens with the fever and what you write about it all season long.